Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Blockchain Economy by the Crypto Assets Institute. My name is Ethan Pierce, and I will be your host as we join Alex Mazmesh, co-founder and CEO of NFT platform Showtime. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and join the community at cryptoassets.substack.com. Do let us know if there are guests you would like us to invite or topics that you would like covered. As always, nothing presented here should ever be considered as legal or financial advice or solicitation to buy or sell. Please do your own research, talk to your lawyer, accountant, and tax advisors. And now, Alex Masmesh, welcome. Thank you so much, Ethan. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's super fun to have you. We had a great walk uh, here in Paris last week uh, where we got to talk about all kinds of fascinating things. I'm looking forward to revisiting some of those together today for the podcast. I'm excited to talk about your journey towards starting Showtime and you know kind of what lies ahead. But before we get into that, let's talk about your fundraising announcement that you just made. <laughs> sure, I'm happy to chat. So yeah, so last Thursday, we announced that we raised a 7.6 million seed round with Pardime, which is a firm I love. We know Fred Sam, who's the co-founder of Coinbase, who just IPO'd a few weeks ago, and, and Matt Wang from Sequoia. That was probably the best partners I could ask for. And, and then Blau also is joining us in this round. Um, Blau is uh, a DJ that sold ten, tens of millions of dollars of NFTs. He was really, you know, at one with the community in the past few months. And so that was, that was really good to have him because he's, no, so, he's so knowledgeable in the NFT space. That was really cool. And then also Trevor McDefries, who's the person behind Lil Mikela, the digital influencer, and tons of other people I can name. But anyway, that was... That was a great round and it's been only three months. And so we're so excited uh, to get started and, uh, you know, to, to continue this mission to kind of reinvent the internet with NFTs. <laughs> so this was a seed round, but a pretty good one, a pretty good sized one. So what, um, what do you see having to build? Every investment round is kind of the money you need to go to the next step, you know, some, some next big goals and milestones. For you, what do you want to see happen with Showtime with this seed investment? For sure. So I think, so first we raised a 500k pre-seed round and the goal was really, you know, de-risk the company, make sure that uh, what we're doing is in the right direction, that we're building an NFT space, something that people want. And I think a month or two, so that, that was, you know, January 2021, like it's so recent. And so when we did this, we had enough to hire one contractor and just build an iTrade as fast as, as possible. And yeah, I think in February, NFT started to go a bit viral and mainstream and make media headlines. And that's when Pardime, who I was in touch with for a few months, was reaching out. And so I think this kind of proved, okay, NFTs are here to stay. NFTs went through their, you know, hype cycle. Maybe this will go down. It was a small bubble of like very expensive art, but the primitive is very strong. And so backing the companies that saw it first uh, from experienced founders in crypto was probably a good bet for them. And so I guess, you know, a lot of money can help surviving when it's not hype anymore. And, you know, crypto goes through a bear market and no one has money again. Well, we will have runway. There will be no way that we die. Like we will, we will persevere till we see enormous traction until we're really excited and we have product market fit. And so... I think that's that's what it's it's for. It's you know in bull markets, crypto is an industry with, which has a lot of money, and so it's it's really opportunistic and and smart to, to raise now. Uh, and this is what you know Roham from Dapper Labs told me as a you know founder to founder advice. 
And so, yeah, I mean, like right now, what do we need in, in expenses? I guess hiring. Uh, HR is number one. We we just hired five people as soon as we got the, the deal signed. And so we're seven now, keeping it lean and, and see what's up. And, and you know, iterating for, for a while till we really see a parabolic growth. Like we are sure what we're going is the best and we're going to incentivize whatever with crypto incentives behavior that we want to optimize for. But anyway, um, that's that's kind of it. Like it's a lot of money. It's the bull market, but at least it will cover us for the for years to come. Well, that's great. And I, I do want to get more into, uh, you know, kind of what what Showtime actually does, what you want it to do in the future and, and, and how you feel about NFTs and, and lots of things moving forward. But on the way to Showtime, there was Alex coin. Maybe we should have a little, you know, uh, this has been talked about a lot, but for people who might not know you or who, who are who know you, I don't know who doesn't know you, but but for people who don't know you yet and who are, you know, tuning in uh, because of Showtime, maybe it would be good just to kind of because I think I think Alex Coin takes us to NFTs and Showtime. So maybe just a quick history lesson on, on how you got to Alex Coin and, and that adventure. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is such a funny story. So. Yeah, I was, so I started getting into crypto roughly like mid 2019. And uh, basically I was in San Francisco in a school called 42 by Xavier Neal, who's a very French, uh, very famous French tech person. And it's a, it's a free rent to be in the San Francisco campus of 42, kind of like by serendipity, a stranger on Twitter, because I did a tweet that I really wanted to attend a conference out of the blue, just pays me money to fly to that conference. And I don't know that person. And now I know that person. <laughs> and it's, he's called Peter Pan. He's quite famous in the Ethereum community. And he was really helpful in my journey. And so what happens is that I go to that conference, it's 2019, and he's like, I don't have that much money. I think we need to, to, to make something that, you know, I will get the debt back and you will be able to pay later. And so what we did is this coin called AML19, which was my first coin, which was Alex Mesmesh Loan 2019. And it was 1,500 tokens for each dollar because he lent me $1,500 so that I could repay back the conference uh, that was in Berlin at the time. That was my first ever crypto conference, like out of a gift. That was so nice. And it feels like in the crypto community, actually gifts are, are quite common towards members to attract each other. So that's a, that's a nice Ethereum story. And so long story short, like we created this coin and Roll, which at the time is the company that's kind of like leading and the first company to do like social tokens, reaches out to me and is like, wow, like we are, you know, pitching to everyone, like do your token and you did this on your own. Like, what is this thing? Like, do you want to do a token with us with a more like general aspect? Maybe we can have like an hour of your time or we can think about something else. And I was like, yeah, sure. And like, you know, let's call it Alex. That sounds fun. And so that was like in September 2019. And it turns out that, you know, the, the use case that we were going for, which was an hour of my time, wasn't really useful because at the time I wasn't too known in the crypto community. Like my time wasn't too valuable. I was actually very curious and meeting lots of people. So my time was, was cheap. Like I was super eager to talk to people. And, um, and so, you know, didn't really stress test the Alex token. And I, and I say stress test because what's coming is funny because Fast forward, you know, March 2019, I'm a bit more known in the crypto community. Um, I've done a project called Rocket. I've joined Meta Cartel. I've really done some experiments that signals that I'm a young founder. I really want to do that, you know, breakthrough company that onboards billions of people. Like I'm super ambitious, but 
I'm growing, you know, uh, slowly but surely. And in March 2020, so six months later, some bad things happened because COVID happens, of course. And during that same during that same week, what's incredible is that I lost money in DeFi. I lost a lot of money in DeFi. I only had like two thousand dollars in my bank account, and that was kind of crazy. And also, like, I, my first ever income on the side was cut because of COVID. So I'm back in Paris. I was like traveling a, a little bit and I had some money in crypto savings. And so I had no money. I was in my parents' house. It was March 2020. And there's one last thing that maybe I can use to bounce back, which is ECC, that conference where I'm speaking main stage about my experience with the Alex token so far, which was really insignificant. And so I'm like, wow, like, you know, after this conference, there's COVID and there will be no conference anymore. Uh, so I have to really make a splash. I have to do something to make money again. I have no money. <laughs> so this is because of this stress test. Like a lot of people think, oh no, the Alex token was like a fun experiment, like to raise 20K. No, I needed $20,000. Otherwise I was not able to continue my journey. Um, and so, yeah, the rest is history because like I went on stage I said, I'm raising $20,000 as a safety net to move to San Francisco as a founder. And now it's happening, well, in two weeks because the visa is finished now. In, in like, actually not two weeks, this Friday, I am going to Brussels to get my visa to go to San Francisco. So the Alex mission was fulfilled. And so long story short, like a lot of people was uh, skeptical of the Alex token because they were like, well, you just fundraised with your wallet and a Google form, you know, you could have run away with the money. Like this is not, this is not what we want as ideals of the blockchain technology, which is you codify your income on chain to people so that people know that rules can't change on them. People know that you cannot cheat. And so I, I was really interested by, by this take. And a lot of investors reached out to me after the Alex token saying, well, what do you want to do now? And they were all like, you know, if you did something, that's similar to the Alex token, but so instead of you, millions of people could do it, that could be an amazing startup and you are uniquely suited to start one. And so I realized, well, if I wanted the income to be, you know, objectively, like without any trust assumptions, that it's Codify, that would be amazing. And I love consumer facing products. Steve Jobs is my idol since I'm a teenager. And so I wanted to do a consumer facing product. And it turns out that NFTs is the very best way to do things because NFTs are consumer facing. The most famous athletes, the most famous singers, the most famous digital artists are doing NFTs. So it's consumer facing and it's revenue that you earn on chain and you can codify fees. You can codify royalties that go to a certain demographic, like to, to certain people that you selected. And so NFTs also happened to have started growing exponentially in July, 2020. So like, and I was also going to go back because of my $20,000 to San Francisco. So every single star aligned and I started showtime in December because I thought, well, if I wanted to do this, you know, complex financial product on top of NFTs to create creator tokens, well, a good first step would be to start an NFT platform. And that's where I started thinking, well, what is lacking in the NFT platform? Well, they're all very transactional and there's no way to like, comment, a bit like Instagram. There's no, there's no way that normal people can grok what this platform is. And so I was like, okay, well, let's start an NFT platform from the standpoint of, of social. And that way the artists can gather a community 
And maybe like I did gathering my small community over 2019, 2020, I can leverage that to get some investment. And so I'm literally replicating, replicating what I've done as a young founder to all digital creators uh, online. And so that's coming soon, but I guess it's still not out there. Like we haven't done the, the, creator, the creator token part, but that's kind of like the story and of, of how the Alex token kind of linked back to Showtime. <laughs> well, what's interesting is Instagram comes up a lot in the uh, backstory of, and also the first kind of version of what Showtime could be. And and, and the reality is with all the platforms that we have right now for NFTs that, that have started, Instagram is still the place where people are showcasing. So Instagram actually is the showcase of NFTs. And so the idea then is, is that Showtime becomes the Instagram of NFTs, or at least in its first step, because then you have this idea of extending it and it becoming more of a tool or a resource that creates social connections not just uh, from the Instagram perspective, but but to really be able to be kind of the centerpiece of a new social media. And so I, I'm curious then to think about, so we're at the beginning of the Showtime um, adventure. It just started. You, you've raised twice since you started it in, in December, which is amazing already. And so what do you... What do you see the next couple months really being for the first things you want to roll out with Showtime? And then uh, then we'll talk about the future. Sure. So I think, so building a social network, um, there's a lot of things you need to do and you need to, I think, like get as many people on it and we need to improve retention. Uh, people like, you know, coming back to the platform, leaving Instagram. We got a few comments from people sometimes in the comments like, oh, like I'm using Instagram a bit less, et cetera. I think one key thing for us and we started working on it and this will be out very soon is a mobile app. I think this will be really, really huge. In crypto, a lot of people start with websites, web apps, simply because the wallet experience isn't too good. But with Showtime, the wallet experience is pretty easy. Like all you need to do is sign and then, you know, that's saved on the browser and you can just like not log in anymore. And there's no marketplace feature for now. So that's also not a problem. And so there's no like transaction or like pop-ups or all the, the weird crypto experience that maybe need to go in order to crypto to reach its mainstream potential. And so, yeah, I think the mobile app is something that we're really looking forward uh, in the next few months. And then, as I said, you know, potentially going to creator tokens, but I can't talk too much about this. And then the social media protocol, because when data is public, we can create this sort of developer sandbox that any developer can use you know, like right now as a developer, you cannot build on top of the 3 billion user base of Facebook. It's a walled garden. But what if this was open and NFTs make it open, right? Like I don't, it's not my content as, as a founder, uh, the NFT space that I'm displaying and showcasing on Showtime. We are just proposing one type of website that people may like and may use, uh, but it's, it's public, right? Everyone can use that data. Everyone can start a NFT social network if they want. Uh, and that's the beauty of crypto. It's, it's more competition. It's better for the users. And this time, users are beyond platform. And they can plug to whatever platform they like. But if the NFT standard, if the social media standard that Showtime is, is doing eventually is, is a strong you know, network effect, and you can have your followers, you're following your content, all in, in, all in this one ecosystem, then maybe users will be, would like to go to the you know, LinkedIn Showtime or TikTok Showtime or newsletter or podcast Showtime. And so that's why we want to be like the, the social layer of the internet, because it seems like, you know, there's a lot of protocol in crypto and, and that's the better way to, to create a monopoly 
which is sometimes taboo in startups, but with crypto, the monopoly is decentralized. Like if we were to create this, if Showtime were to be successful, users would have pieces in Showtime. Like if Facebook users had equity in Facebook, it sounds fair because it's people, it's the very people who give network value to the, to the application. So yeah, that's the for next few months. So TLDR mobile app is probably the, the most eye-popping thing that's coming uh, from us. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the past couple months in NFTs and where you kind of see those going over the, the rest of the year and next year. But before we do that, you keep talking about social networks and social layer. And so we didn't talk about this on our walk, but I'm curious to, to hear, to see your face when I say the word BitCloud. Well, so BitCloud is an interesting experiment. And I think they got a lot of things right. BitCloud did this. So like the TLDR is that BitCloud is kind of like a Twitter-like interface where everyone has a coin and your coin is on the bonding curve, meaning that the price is not set by a market per se, like no one has a sale of the price, but people can buy and sell. And when you buy, the price goes up. When you sell, the price goes down. And that determines your clout, your reputation online. It's not backed by any financial assets. It's only backed by how many people are willing to buy and, and sell it, kind of like Bitcoin. So it's kind of pure speculation, but... The speculation is not just the market, it's, it's like a, a bonding curve. So it was algorithmically done so that, you know, they, the price will go up maybe exponentially. I'm not sure actually how their curve is, but long story short, it's a way to monetize your cloud. And they did this kind of mistake where they did not ask for consent of users. And so a lot of people were a little bit annoyed by BitCloud because it was using and scrapping their Twitter data which is already pretty bad because Twitter is not a decentralized service. Like they are scrapping, they are violating Twitter standards. Maybe, I'm not sure. I don't want to, to say wrong things. And also they are using people IP and images and, and more so they are trading coins without telling them. Like some, even if you are not signed into BitCloud, people can trade your coin. And so that made for a lot of backlash. There's definitely, there's some celebrities that if they just signed in and verified their BitCloud account, they would have tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, waiting for them. Yeah. Well, that's another question because we can't actually get the money out of BitCloud, uh, or at least easily. But yeah, that is a curious thing to, well, you know, it worked really well for Airbnb whenever they scraped uh, Craigslist and created their first database. So, you know, I guess it's a way to get started, but it hasn't increased a lot of uh, good feelings for at the beginning of the platform. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, like I think the debate I, I go with some friends of mine is that, you know, maybe it's okay to piss off the crypto OG community because BitCloud is not going for them. BitCloud is going for a mainstream audience. And so however dirty that tactic is, if, you know, famous YouTubers see this and they're like, oh, wow, like I can get ten thousands of dollars instantly by signing up, maybe that will be enticing enough to, to switch. It's funny that you mention it that way, though, because it so a lot of the people that I, I talk to and I know and that I, I, I see or historically at conferences or, or now at digital conferences and other stuff have nothing to do with crypto. And a lot of people have actually been, especially in the finance world, fairly negative or even kind of crappy on, on the crypto thing. And yet I'm amazed at how many of those people who don't understand a thing about anything about crypto are like, oh, but you should check out my BitCloud. You should buy my coin. <laughs> like, you're right. It's totally a retail yeah. thing because so many of the, the, yeah. the crypto smart people are like, eh. Yeah, uh, like but it. then so many of the people who don't get an ounce of, of anything crypto are like, oh, yeah, but this is cool. So I guess we'll see where that goes. 
No, yeah, it's it's interesting. BitCloud is definitely not for crypto users because you're used to be self-sovereign with your identity, with your money. And so seeing them scrapping your Web2 data and making a coin that's trading on your name. I think, so what happened is that a lot of people threatened to sue BitCloud. But what happened, I think, is that they were pretty quick to remove like the accounts of people who didn't want to be associated with BitCloud. So I think it's it's okay now, but yeah, it was definitely a little bit tense at the start uh, between, especially like lawyers, like, you know, they've done SEC people or like, you know, very important decision maker that could hurt BitCloud. <laughs> oh, like two weeks ago, they, they did the prime minister of Singapore. Oh, wow. <laughs> who is, you know, Singapore is a fantastic place that is very crypto friendly. The Monetary Authority of Singapore has been super engaged with, with wanting to see crypto business models succeed and work well because of the lack of a capital gains tax. You see lots of, of crypto funds that have that have started in Singapore. And then they go and piss off the prime minister by, by making a big cloud. <laughs> no. um, it was probably a dumb move because then the monetary authority went and put out a rather negative statement about speculative um, crypto stuff. And, and well, good that they pushed on the on the anti-speculation part, but it seemed to be the first thing I'd seen in a while of, of Singapore being anti-crypto in a sort of way, which I thought was unfortunate because these this is a place that is generally super crypto friendly. And so I do worry about, okay, fine, it worked from a growth hacking growth hacking perspective, but but we do want to be careful that we don't piss off our friends in the non-crypto world with these tricks because the good stuff like Showtime still needs to scale and, and grow into something. So back to Showtime, NFTs, crazy couple of months. Obviously, there's people like you that have been doing this for quite a while. Um, uh, Luke Jode from Ariane has been doing this for like, what, five years now, I think. <laughs> so, you know, overnight success, as they would say. And so it, you know, the past couple of months have been crazy. How do you feel about specifically the art world's embracing of NFTs and how that has taken off so significantly? Some of the valuations of stuff being kind of just incredible, if not maybe silly. How do you feel potentially about the future of some of that, both from valuations, but also, you know, if we're treating these like assets, you know, what are people really getting into? What do you feel about the next couple months? And then from that, NFTs, they're not just about art. We have so much in front of us. I'd love just to hear kind of your general thoughts about NFTs. For sure. So yeah, like about digital art and the recent growth. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. I remember like seeing the data. It seemed like in July 2020, the NFT art world started growing exponentially, which is when I got interested into this segment. And it grew and grew. And yeah, in January, uh, I think it was probably Beeple, this digital artist who had, I think, two or three million followers on Instagram. And so you would think, you know, oh, he's pretty well off. Like he did some partnership with Justin Bieber, with Louis Vuitton, with uh, Nike. Like you would think that, you know, he's really well off, but not really. Like an artist's life is actually really unstable financially. You may have millions of followers, but Instagram is giving you nothing or maybe penny on the dime. Like really, you are not getting your lifestyle worth. And so he just tried one day as one of the most famous digital artists to do a couple NFTs and it sold for $3 million. And he was extremely surprised. Like he was crying, like it was very emotional. And he was like, wow, my entire life's work is, is being finally valued. And so that was for me, that was like in November, that was a sign of like, okay, like things are getting interesting here. 
because there's no real alternative, right? This is why we're only seeing art. And I, I said this on a walk is art, digital art is, is the alternative is so bad that despite crypto being a bit slow and expensive, it still is worth it to do it today. It still is worth it to learn MetaMask, to learn private keys and, and some basics that, you know, mainstream people will be too painful to learn for them. And so they, they won't actually do it. But if you're a digital artist, going through that small five-minute learning curve is, is useful because you can make a living now that you couldn't before unless you had connections, unless you had like physical prints or, you know, a, an existing reputation in a big city or something. And even if you did have that, which is rare, you know, most artists don't make a living from, from their art. Even if you did have that, all of that stopped with the pandemic because galleries are closed and, and everything else. So even for the, the small percentage of artists that were able to monetize what, what they do, you know, that, that ended. And so it seems like a perfect storm for NFTs to come along and create an opportunity. Exactly. And so this, and, and knowing actually that uh, COVID um, actually was a stopper for a lot of artists touring, we had also a lot of musicians, which like, you know, we know that music is terribly paid. I think like, 85% of, of artists' revenue don't go to them, but to intermediaries. And so NFT is the way for both digital artists and music artists to go direct and to directly make money. And it doesn't matter if some platform like Foundation takes 15%, that's, that's still like a lot of money straight to them. It's the opposite, right? They went from 50% to them to 50% to other people, 15, one, five. So it's really not much. And so, yeah, they started collaborating. So like one digital artist would do the 3D thing. One music artist would do the, the music part and they would kind of go like in a choreography way, like audio reactive, I think is what it's called. And so we really saw a wave of very beautiful art and that's, that's really interesting. And it just boomed because of, you know, crypto people during this bull market that's going on right now got really wealthy. And, you know, they don't want to buy a Rolex. They don't want to buy a Lamborghini. This is not a way to, to manifest wealth in the crypto space. We live on the internet now. We live in the metaverse. And so what is cool, well, what is cool to, to, to display your status is, is more like a crypto punk now, right? This collectible that was one of the first ever NFTs that sold for dozens of millions of dollars. Like this is the new way to, to flex that you are a cool kid. And so... Uh, it kind of got this new status thing um, that is is very interesting to to see, um, and so yeah, so you know those people have more money, and so they could afford NFTs and they could buy from those artists who now are making a living. Well, more of them. Uh, it's not everyone that that buys that sells NFTs instantly, but you know you, you need to have a community. But there's way more than the previous paradigm of traditional art, of course. You know, as we talk about NFTs, this is obviously a passion for you. And we talked a little bit about, you know, we don't have to go into all that detail about, you know, you're a, as a as a French, quote unquote, entrepreneur who's now in the U.S. and all this kind of stuff. You're passionate about crypto, but uh, and a lot of that has been put into the NFT space, but also DAOs are something that really excite you. So so let's talk a little bit about just what that means to you and why that's something so important. Sure. Yeah. I mean, DAOs was my first rabbit hole because this, this industry has so many different rabbit holes. Uh, I remember being into DAOs simply because, again, it was my only way to get by. Like, I never had a job, but I had a job at DAOs, which is communities, not, not companies. 
And what's crazy is that, so the way we define DAO is a sort of entity that is international and not incorporated in any country, but incorporated on the blockchain, right? And the shares of the DAO is a cryptocurrency, is a token. And so that's fascinating to me uh, in the way we do companies because with the remote world, companies are going more and more remote. And I think the dream of DAOs is that if you can have a way to have an algorithm determine who is fit to join a DAO or not, like we could have monstrous organizations, well, monstrous in scale, like actually benevolent, right? Uh, that can really shape the world of tomorrow jobs. And, and that's really exciting to me. So for instance, like Meta Cartel, which is the DAO that I joined in 2019, my first ever like experience in crypto, meeting other people, was a DAO, which was a Moloch DAO, which is like one of the DAO frameworks. Moloch DAO is very smart. It talks about game theory, you know, treasury of the commons and, and multiple other things where basically if every party of an industry pools funds together and coordinate together, it's more efficient than if every individual party were to do its own thing because communication silos will be removed and also because they don't really have an incentive to do their own thing. They can always have the free rider problem where, oh, well, someone else will do it. But with DAOs, everyone who benefits from the same thing can pool a tiny fraction of resources. It ends up being a lot and they can allocate it each with their own voice. And this is very, very easily done on the crypto blockchain. And one incredible feature of that system was called rage quit because, you know, it's like gamer and, and you know, like crypto people. So it was very informal language. And the rage quit feature was whenever a financial decision was decided with the pool of funds of that DAO, if someone were to disagree in that grace period, they could rage quit and not suffer any of the financial losses from that expense. What does it mean? It means that when you're passing a proposal to spend money on behalf of everyone, you better have everyone aligned because if they're not, they're going to rage quit and leave it. And so what it did is that it forced people to only invest in things that you would gain consensus, right? In the prisoner's dilemma, this was only incentivizing cooperate. And this is some of the magical things that make crypto like the right incentives for humans to trust each other. Because if you don't trust each other, there are, you know, safe mechanisms to leave. And, and that's really incredible to me. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to leave your country if you disagree with its politics. You can do it, but it's, it's harder. Um, and I guess, you know, in, in the private world, it's a little bit easier. Like if you don't like Uber, you can switch to, to you know, Heach or, you know, uh, Lyft. But like it's, DAO takes it a next level. Like it, it could be the future of, of any entity online. Like probably it's the future of LLCs. It could be even the future of governments and the way people govern because there's so many different ways of, of deciding what, what something is. Like maybe it can be a benevolent a dictatorship, maybe it can be like a plutocracy, maybe it can be uh, one, one person, one vote. So like a democracy, maybe it can be um, quadratic voting, which crypto people in crypto are really interested in, which is like, um, you know, a way of having credits 
And so the more people choose something, the more, um, the more votes it gets. But also if someone wealthy puts way more credits or money, it will also impact. So it's like a mix of democracy and plutocracy that's been working really well in some small trials. Um, so basically, that is the first time we can re-explore politics and the way you form a company. And that's fascinating. Right now, we haven't seen much outside of the crypto realm. So I'm part of MetaCartel, and the goal of MetaCartel was let's fund together grants to small crypto projects because it was the bear market 2019. No one had money. No one was raising VC money. It was much harder back then. And so they did this to me. Like they, I was given $2,000, which for me was a lot at the time to just spend like a month or two on a project and then see what, what's, what's up and like what was uh, out of it. And then I could raise a, a seed round or something. And so uh, that was, that was interesting. So yeah, the way like coordinating value and governing together online is, is something that is very interesting. I love how you bring everything back for both the NFT discussion and uh, with Showtime, but also with Dallas to just your passion for community. And I do think that's something that there is a really positive and interesting group of people in the crypto space that are really driven by community and creating something of value and something kind of for the next century, the next generation of, of, of how everything is supposed to work in government and commerce and, and different things. And so I love your energy and your excitement for all this stuff. My last physical conference was the Ethereum conference in Paris last March. I'm excited for those to pick back up starting in June and we'll hopefully get to see you uh, again as well. Thank you, Alex, for taking the time to chat with us today. Congrats on the newest round of investments, and I'm looking forward to hearing more good news in the weeks and months to come. Have a good trip uh, re relocating back to San Francisco. Thank you so much. Likewise, Ethan. Want more details on these and other important stories? Subscribe to the Blockchain Economy newsletter and full podcast from yours truly, Ethan Pierce, at the Crypto Assets Institute at cryptoassets.substack.com. You should also follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and switch on notifications to be informed of new episodes as soon as they are released. I always appreciate a new connection and follow on Twitter and LinkedIn at Ethan Pierce. That's E-T-H-A-N-P-I-E-R-S-E. -E. Let me know if there are guests that you would like for me to invite onto the interview podcast or topics that you would like covered in these regular news updates. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.